say hombre, hold another bottle. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv, coming from Chicago. Alto, make way for Paul Vato. Hello, Mr. Cluse. Are we here? Are we actually on here? We're doing we this? We are on. Wow. We are on Fireside, the platform, and we are live. So we exciting. We haven't technically started the show, but, you know. Uh, so exciting, we- though. Very exciting. I think I was so excited, I, I put my shirt on crooked. Oh, so, no. Uh, but I didn't have a camera to guide me. So you look freshly showered. I am freshly showered and, uh, and uh, freshly shit as well. So <laughs> I saw a sign in Mexico uh, yeah. that said uh, exit X hour X Ave and couldn't figure out what they were trying to say, you know, but some, the X is pronounced like a sh. So it yeah. was sh- Shower, shave. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you you don't want to mix those up. No, no. Uh, um, unless you're in one of those. What is, are there some of those bathrooms where you can do all three? Uh, you can shower in your port in your in your bathroom, and and uh, I know some boats have that, and some. some I actually boats. have that in my house. Uh, it's it's a new. I have a shower right in my bathroom. That's weird. I know. It's New Jersey, man. Wow, Jersey, Jersey. Well, um, I think uh, we can start the show. And, and even if there are not a lot of people in the audience, the nice thing, Chris, is that it's it's recorded. Yeah. Uh, so it lives on the platform. And we get a lot of replays is usually what the case is. So so And we can go as long as you'd like, as short as you'd like. It's funny because uh, – it just happened that both you and Joe Stapleton, whom you know, oh, both yeah. pretty much picked the same day and very close in time. So that's he's right. He's right here. He's with me. I had a feeling about you. Yeah, too. he's shuffling the cards right now. Shuffle up and deal. Mm. <laughs> that's wonderful. So let's welcome everyone. Welcome uh, uh, everyone that's here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're also broadcasting to Twitch. Uh, uh, Facebook and YouTube at the same time. At least that's the plan. It's supposed to be going to YouTube as well. Um, so we're simulcasting to the metaverse as well. And I know that you understand all these things perfectly. I do because I'm very young. You real well. You look. You look very young, and I you look, look very old. Very <laughs> old. Uh, that was very funny what you said that the 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 microphone was enabled but you were disabled that brilliant. I'm disabled and yeah you know so here we are hi hi welcome 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 uh, thank you for taking time out of your your well, it's a long time since I've spoken to you it really has it really yeah. has it was since the Matt TV days I'm I'm guessing uh, and then I, were you there through the end of Matt TV no. or did you leave before cuz I left no. before as well uh I left after the 2006 six season, I think. And I think it still had about two or three more to go beyond that. But the show deteriorated the moment I left. You know what? It, it really did. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was part of the reason. <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. Well, a lot, but not, sure. not everything. You know. I mean, m- m- my goodness, uh, the, the sketches that you would write. But you, you know what? Maybe we'll go back and, and uh, I listened to the podcast that you that you recently did with the huh. SETV people. Yeah, that was fun. I feel like, like if, if people uh, really want, want to get your whole history, and especially if they're interested in SCTV, that's an amazing podcast. Not to send anyone away from here 
after this podcast, listen to that. But th- they were um, it, it was great, that history. So I want to touch on that. But then also, of course, all the other wonderful things that, that you've done and, you know, a little bit maybe about your background. I know that uh, you're from New York. Were you actually born? You were born in New York? I was born on, uh, I was, I was born on the Upper East Side of Manhattan at uh, Lenox Hill Hospital on March the 7th at 1252. Wow. A.M. A.M. I was an inconvenient baby. An inconvenient baby. Yeah. And what what were your, your parents like? Because you have this incredible comedic mind. Do you get that from them, do you think? Or, or is that something uh, that you can learn along the way? Or or do you think no. a lot of it had to do with your upbringing or your family or, or things? Well, like that? I think it has to do with uh, with your with your genealogy. I really do. I think uh, funny is in the genes. You know, and and I look really funny in these jeans. And that's the worst joke I would ever done in my life. And I apologize for anyone who suffered through it. Um, My parents, my mother was uh, everybody who everybody's to every guy. Their mother was a saint. Uh, My mother was a saint, you know, and she's just the greatest the greatest person I ever knew in my life. She was funny. She could sing like a like a, a diva. Um, she was cute as hell. And uh, she was my mom. But that's where I think from that side of the family came a lot of the humor. That's Irish, that side. So uh, a lot of there was a lot of laughs, a lot of, you know, between uh, moments of resentment. There was, you know, <laughs> laughter. Um, and then on the other side, my dad, uh, another f- very funny guy, uh, but he was a cop in New York. So, um, uh, yeah. So he had a lot of uh, kind of tales of the street that were kind of that he told in a very funny fashion. And I will say one thing. My dad passed away in uh, 2016. Um, and. Towards the end of his life, he's, he actually said to me, he said, you know, I, uh, I never told you this, but uh, you made me laugh. And I thought, gee, that's really nice. And then I realized he was, you know, talking about my everyday life when I was trying to live my life. Everything I did was seem seemingly hilarious to him. So, but I would say a lot of all of all of my uh, genetic stuff definitely had something to do with uh, the fact that I have uh, also see life in a very skewed way. You know, when I was a kid, um, we lived on uh, on East Sixty Seventh Street, directly across the street from. Um, Sloan Kettering Memorial Hospital, which was is the East Coast's biggest cancer hospital. And um, from my window on the fifth, the sixth floor walk up of a seven floor walk up building, we lived on the sixth floor. Groceries were fun. Um, but when I looked out my window as a child, uh, I looked directly out onto uh, a deck in the on the an outdoor deck on the hospital. Uh, and um, it was filled with kids who had cancer and it was such a dark vision to me i mean i would look out the window and see all these dying children and that's the way I, that's the way i grew up 
So I think uh, then my grandmother got sick when I was 10. I mean, terribly ill. And, and um, my mom took care of her and she lived in the same apartment building. And I watched her wither away. And I, I seemed to have a lot of, uh, a lot of black uh, times in my early life that I think led me to a, a kind of an I don't really give a shit um, uh, view of things uh, for a long time. Yeah, for a long time I was just you know the the darker the comedy could be, the more I liked it. You know, and I, I, yeah, I, I I can I can relate. Those are and besides those are some hilarious stories. So no, I'm kidding. I mean, you mean the kids dying? Yeah, I know. It's just you hold yourself. You're laughing so hard. Yeah. But um, ironically, I ended up in that hospital in uh, 2019, and from my room. I could see where my old uh, apartment building was. It torn down. Two or three have been torn down by this time. Um, so, uh, you know, there I was. I also had cancer. And uh, so this is a fun interview. Wow. No, it really is. But it's funny how life is cyclical. You, you know, you start out looking at the hospital and then you end up looking at where you're. I'll tell you a story that relates to space and time uh, in that in that exact area. Uh, for a while, I was in the, uh, an organization called the United States Navy. And uh, for a short time, I was stationed in New York City at a, uh, at a naval hospital. I was a hospital corpsman. And I was working in the emergency room. Uh, and I got uh, to know uh, one of the doctors very well. And uh, we were, we'd be kibitz and we'd laugh and stuff. And um, so one day he said, hey, you know, I was telling, I was telling my wife about you and uh, she wants to know if you can come for dinner on Friday. And I said, oh, free. Of course, I'll be there. So uh, after we, our shift is over, we jump in his car and we drive from St. Albans, Queens, out to um, the 59th Street Bridge into Manhattan. And as we're going over the bridge, I look to my right. And that was my old neighborhood down there. And I said, oh, you know, this is where I grew up. And he said, oh, no, we live, yeah, we used to be affiliated, I'm affiliated with the hospital, and blah, 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 blah. So we go up uh, York Avenue and make a left on 67th Street. Now, that's the street I grew up on, okay. And then we go up about two-thirds of the way to the street where there's a schoolyard, which was always there. And then there's a building, which I'd never seen before, and he pulls his car into the subterranean garage of the building. And I think, this is exactly where my building was. This is precisely where the building was. So I'm telling him how amazed I am by this. We get in the elevator. He's kind of amazed by it, too. We get in the elevator. We go up to the whatever floor it was. And we get out of the elevator. And his wife is there. Got the door open. She's waiting to, to greet us. And we greet and say hello. And then I come in. And she says, why don't you sit? And I sit. And I look out the window. It's exactly the same view I had when I was a child. Precisely the same view in a different building. Which is just That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. It was so amazing. I stole stuff from them. Well, good, because because you know what? They they took your land. Now, now you get back a little something. Yeah, yeah I felt like, uh, you know, an indigenous person. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can now relate. Not, not, now you can relate. You got the same view in a different building. You got screwed. That's right. That that's right, but wow! What I mean, no, that, that that is that really is amazing that that you would end up in that exact same space, really, precisely the same space, yeah, precisely 
the, the same the same space. Uh, oh, that was fun. Goodbye. Okay. Well, th- thank you for all the laughs. <laughs> uh, so then you uh, and thank you for your service uh, as, as far oh, as. Oh, you're uh, very welcome. Did you ever go to Chicago? Because I know that there's a big uh, naval yeah. base. I actually uh, did boot camp there at uh, Grays Lake. At Great Lakes. Yeah. They call it Great Mistakes. Great Mistakes. Uh, yeah. I went to a boot camp there. <laughs> oh, my God. Please. Um, yeah, I did. And uh, I was there during the, uh, uh, not to date myself, but oh, I was there during the Chicago 7 trial. And on Saturdays, uh, if, I, if we had the day off, I would uh, jump on the Metro train and take it down into the down by the federal building in the loop and sit and just have a hot dog and watch Nazis march around all day. So that was, you know, went right into my life. It was perfect. We had hippies and Nazis and it was, uh, it was almost like a musical. It was fantastic. Uh, it sounds like an amazing musical. And I want to talk to you about musicals. Uh, hopefully we'll get to that as far as as uh, musical. Well, if you want me to sing, I don't have only have a few things prepared, so let me know. Uh, anything from Gershwin the musical? No, I no, I couldn't couldn't get the rights. So, got it. Got anyway, it. so so then, uh, did you did you go to uh, university or college or how, what happened then after the Navy or how did you end up getting into the world of comedy? And I I think you have an amazing origin story which I, I'd read about before mm-hmm. and. Uh, you want to hear that? I, I do really want to hear that okay. story about submitting your okay. – but was there something in between there or, or how did you get into, I guess, in, into the world of comedy? Maybe what was your first co- comedy job or, or were you just – um, Well, when I got out of the Navy – I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. But uh, I lived in a very tough neighborhood where um, anything you did – uh, was considered homosexual, unless it was, uh, a, you know, a, a, you were committing a crime, then you were okay, you know, it was all right. But we, you know, if you had any artistic kind of calling or feeling, uh, the, the peer pressure was horrifying, you know, like, because I, I hung out with a bunch of nice guys, but everybody was a tough guy in the neighborhood, and it was a tough neighborhood. And uh, um, so, you know, I, I kind of worked my way away from that. And, and, and then when I was in the Navy, I started to write letters. I started writing a lot of letters. And I actually had a girlfriend who uh, is now a very prominent person in the United States of America. And I cannot name her um, because I can't remember. Uh, but uh, uh, I used to write her letters. And... Uh, she would delight in them because they were just an odd view of my life, you know, as, as I was sitting in these different places in the world. And uh, so she really was the one who inspired me to think about being a writer. You know, I was always a big reader. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> on one of our, uh, one of my missions, I had uh, brought uh, uh, Vonnegut's uh, Slaughterhouse Five with me to read. And uh, as I read it, I was envisioning it as a film. So I wrote my first screenplay when I was probably 20 years old in the Navy. And it was 
awful. It was just the worst. I mean, it was horrifying. I had no idea about anything. It just, I was basically transcribing the book, you know. Uh, um, but it did ignite in me an interest uh, to do that. So when I came out of the Navy, I uh, was looking for a job and I happily found, now this is a difference between today and uh, 1973 when I got out of the Navy. Um, I wanted, I decided I was going to, I wanted to work in television. So I went to Sixth Avenue in Manhattan and CBS, NBC and ABC were all kind of lined up next to each other. Rockefeller Center and Black Rock for CBS and the ABC building on, I think, 55th Street. And uh, I sort of did the eeny, meeny, miny, mo thing and came up on CBS and went into CBS and said to the guard, I said, I'd like to, uh, to be in television. <laughs> and he says, oh, uh, 20. So that was easy. That was really easy. So I get the elevator. I go to 20 and um, <clears throat> it's, uh, that's what they used to call personnel. They now call human resources. And I'm introduced to this very lovely human being. And she says, well, uh, let me. In. So she interviews me for a job, what my interests are. And I don't know. I just want to be in television, you know. So <clears throat> she uh, she said, you know, fills out all these papers. We fill out papers. And then she says, the only thing you need to do now is to um, take a typing test. And I said, yeah, why would I need to take a typing test? Because I want to be in television. I don't, I don't want to be in typing. I want to be in television. And she said, um, well, I need you to take the typing test because it's, it's procedure. So I said, okay. So I go in a room, this little anteroom off the side, off the, off the main office there. And in there are four young women who I think just graduated from the typing Academy of Brooklyn. And uh, their hair is like, way up high and it's 1973 and chewing gum. And so I sit down, I barely can figure out how to put the paper in the, in the, in the electric typewriter girl turns it on for me. So I hear the familiar the now familiar hum. Um, and then there's a booklet in front of a, with a leather cover and, and on the a bell goes off and you're supposed to open the cover and begin typing whatever's there. So I opened the cover when the bell goes off and it sounded like a machine gun range. These girls were hitting that, that those, those keys so hard. And I'm. Got that one wrong. You know, so that, so uh, the, it's over. The girls turn in their work and I leave. I just leave because I'm so humiliated by typing. So I go to my parents' house where I'm staying, and about an hour after I get there, a phone rings, and it's the woman from CBS who's so nice, and she says, where did you go? I said, well, I, I, I humiliated myself on the typing test. She says, come in, we'll get you a non-typing job. That's the difference between now, I mean, that's the personnel person calling me to offer me a job. That's, the world was a different place. So I took a job as, the, uh, as a page at CBS because I was good at wearing uniforms. I had done it for four years. Sure. And, uh, that's where I met my wife and uh, my writing partner <clears throat> and most of my best friends. 
and uh, and and my my writing partner and I started writing together, and now lead this leads you to the story. That's where we want to go. Yes, that's exactly wh- where where we want to go. Uh, and you were in charge of the page department. I was. I worked my way up to uh, low level, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I, as Woody Allen says in one of his movies, he rocketed to private. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great line. That's from uh, Take the Money and Run. Yes. Um, right, right. So, so uh, was that your was, was that your writing partner? Stu, Stu Kreisman, yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, a nice Jewish boy from Long Island and I was not, you know. So we it was a perfect combination. We looked uh, he's about I don't know maybe 5'8 and I'm 6'4. And, uh, you know, we looked ridiculous together. And that was part of the thing that worked for us for a long time, you know. Um, so uh, we started writing together. And the first we had a job writing, uh, <laughs> writing uh, commercials uh, for delicatessen in, uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So you talk about big time. I mean, that was big time. I think we got 50 bucks. We produced the uh, we produced the commercials ourselves and acted in them. And uh, when the owner heard them, he threw them in the trash and hated us and wanted, demanded his fifty bucks back. <laughs> so we said it was artistic license, and he could fucking die. And so that's what happened. He died. He died like a month later. So I was afraid that it was my fault. But if it was, say la vie. So we had been working together for a while, and uh, we started writing sketches. Because we had seen National Lampoon Lemmings, and we had seen um, El Grande de Coca-Cola, and a number of these uh, sketch shows that were going on. And uh, <clears throat> Second City came to New York for a thing, and we saw that, and we said, "Dad, yeah, this is really what we should be doing." So, in the about after maybe six months of writing sketches together uh, in the evening, because we then we had we were roommates as well, so. Uh, we're writing sketches together, and along comes Saturday Night Live. And we see it, and thank you. And um, I call him on Sunday morning, and I said, did you see that last night? He was somewhere. And uh, he said, yeah. He said, we ought to, all those sketches we wrote, we ought to bring them there, and they should give us jobs. So the theme here is give me a job. I think is is what I'm talking to you about. And, and you're willing to walk right up, right in there, and go give me a job. I want. What are you going to do? I mean, if you sit, if you sit outside, they're not going to go. Oh, I think he wants a job. You know, you have to let them know. So uh, we go, uh, go. Now we go back to NBC instead of CBS, and and I, there's a guard at the door, and you know, downstairs. And I said, I, let, I can handle this. I know how to do this. I've done this already. So I go up to the guy, and say, uh, hi, because the show was called NBC Saturday Night. It was not called Saturday Night Live. That's right. The original, when it first started, it was called NBC Saturday Night because Howard Cosell had a show on ABC called Saturday Night Live with Bill and Brian Doyle Murray. Unbelievable. So we go. So I say to the guy, Saturday Night, Saturday Night, NBC Saturday Night, and he looks at me as if uh, I've come from another planet because it, the concept of space and time to him now is. It says, Monday morning, what are you talking about? And the guy, the other guy sitting next to him doing the crossword puzzle says, oh, they're on three. 
So we say, okay, we now I know he has to explain to the other guy who's on three. Okay, so we go to three, and uh, there's all these guys pushing furniture around. And later I discover Al Franken is pushing a chair, and Chevy's pushing something going this way. And uh, I see a lot of the turned out to be cast members. And uh, so we go and we turn in. Uh, we go to turn in our work, and no one wants to take it. We're finally led to a woman named Kathy Minkowski. I will remember her name forever. And she was so nice to us and, uh, and put up with our nonsense. We come to her and it turns out she's Lauren Michaels assistant. And we say, hi, you know, we, uh, we have this book of incredibly f funny things and we would like you to read it and then give us jobs. Sure. So she, she says, you can't, we, no, no, we're not, we can't do that because no, we don't, you know, we can't because you have to submit it through your agent. I say, we don't have an agent. Uh, she says, see, there's the catch 22. Yeah, so thank you for coming in though. We appreciate it. Watch the show Saturday nights at 1130. I said, no, no, we, we really want to, we, we should have jobs because we're, look at us, look how cute we are. We're cute. We're funny. Come on. Tall, tall and, short. and short. Come on. Everything you need in a person going on there. Jewish, so, not Jewish. Come on. Jewish, not Jewish. Yeah. So, so, uh, no, not Jewish. Catholic. So Jewish and Catholic. So, uh, she says, uh, I, the Pope thanks you for that. Um, he's not getting a lot of that lately. So what do we, so, so we say, you, but we can't, you have to take this. This is, it's important to us. And she says, but if I do, if I do keep it, I will have to put it in the trash because you could sue us. And I thought, now I have to get a lawyer? I don't have a, if I don't have an agent, I don't have a lawyer. How am I ever going to be in comedy? So we left it with her. Knowing that, did you only have one copy? We had this? one copy. We never made a copy. Nothing. We just had, well, no, you know, we had, this was on a, a standard typewriter. So we had carbon copies. We had carbon paper copies. Yeah. So if the only person that could read that is a, like a seeing eye dog. He can read that no one else in the world can read carbon paper, but that's what we have. But we are so desperate to be on this show uh, that we say, we're going to leave this with you. And she says, I, be I beg you, please don't do that because I'm going to happen. So, and uh, I had no belief that this was going to happen. And then we get to the elevator. Now we're going back down. And he looks at me before I can say to him, he says, we're dead. We're dead. We gotta go look for other jobs because this is just that's not gonna happen. So we go back to CBS where we're working and uh in a like administrative jobs, and days over, he's got a car, he lives on Long Island now. So I'm going to ride to the subway station in his car. And as we drive down 57th Street, we stop just off the corner of 7th Avenue and he's talking and I'm just, I'm literally sitting there like this, just listening to him blather on about stuff. And I'm so sad, you know, but I look past him and I see a door open up in a, like an old office building. This there door opens up a red door. I'll never forget the red door opens up and out steps Danny Aykroyd 
and John Belushi and Garrett Morris, who was one of the original, the sure. three original cast members. And they walk directly in front of our car and they get in a taxi. And I, and he looks at me and he says, that's, that's the guy from the show. I said, those are the, those are all the guys from the show. Follow that cab. <laughs> Honest, to God. Honest to God. Follow that cab. When do you get a chance to say that though? That's how are you now in, in a real situation, you know, like, like in a movie, it's what it was like. It was like in a movie. So he did a good job. He followed the cab, uh, makes the right turn on Fifth Avenue. We make the right turn on Fifth Avenue right behind them. And he's saying to me, you got to I'm driving. So you have to do something. So I said, uh, uh, I said, just I'll figure out something. Just so we pull, they pull in in front of the Atlas statue on by the RCA, by the by Rockefeller Center. And we pull up right behind them. Now, we pull up behind the cop. This is just before Thanksgiving. The place is, the crowds are like this on Fifth Avenue. You know, that's what you see. People, just people, 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 people. So he says, if you're ever going to make an impression on anybody, do it now. And the cop is telling him to move. So I get out of the car and he has to leave. So as he's leaving, I'm stepping forward, stepping through these people like this, and they're paying the cabbie. So... I get finally get past them and I step out and I'm as they're coming out of the cab at the top of my lungs. I say, stop. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. Here's what they heard. I'm going to hurt you. Sure. Belushi falls back against the cab. Garrett Morris is like, what? And Aykroyd's going to fight me. He's a tough guy. So he's going to fight me. And I said, no, 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 no. I, so I tell him, Kathy Minkowski, uh, I saw guys pushing furniture. We, we gave them the book. She said that she was going to throw it away. But we said, how could you throw it away? Because it's so brilliant. And I tell him the whole story. Now, while this is going on, Stu is making, he just keep going around. You know, he's got to go back to 6th Avenue, back to 5th Avenue, back to 6th Avenue. He sees me jabbering with it. So the three of them sit there and they listen to this. And <clears throat> Aykroyd hands me a, a card and a pen. He says, write your phone number down. So I write my phone number down. I give it to him. They go in the building and Belushi turns to me and smiles and says, you're an asshole. And then he goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt I'm you. I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get in the, I get in the car and he says, what happened? And I, I said, I tell him, you know, and he said, well, wow. 1130 that night at, in my kitchen phone rings and it's Danny and Danny says, Hey, listen, I found your stuff in the trash. Uh, and I've read through some of it and I got to say a lot of it is shit. I said, thanks for calling. <laughs> and he said, but some of it's okay. So why don't you guys come in after, after your real jobs tomorrow? Just come up to NBC. And we did. And we were there every night for two weeks. The first two, the second and third weeks of the show with uh, 
uh, Richie Pryor, and I forget who the other guy was. And uh, so Dan gave us notes on our on the sketches that he liked the most, and um, we did rewrites so he could give them to Lauren. And Lauren said, "We're not hiring anybody right now because I don't know if we're going to last another another week." So he picked up the phone and he called Sean Kelly at National Lampoon Magazine. And he said, I think I have two guys for you. And I quit my regular job about two weeks later and we went to work for National Lampoon and it was all because of Dan. Now, uh, in 19, this was in 1975. In 1982, I was at the Emmy Awards for SCTV, the night we won, mm -hmm. and sitting directly behind me was Catherine O'Hara and her date, Dan Aykroyd. And I turned to him and I said, I don't know if you remember me or him. He's over there too, somewhere. And he didn't. But then I refreshed his memory and he said, you're here for the show? And I said, yeah. And I said, and it really has a great deal to do with you. So thanks. And then we became great friends and we actually did three projects together. That's, that's, that's amazing. He is such a nice guy. I've had He's a great guy. I've been fortunate enough. I, I first met him. Uh, I'm like, Hey, how do I turn this? Uh, how do I make this about me? No, no. I, I first no, met no, him. Go ahead. I'm... <laughs> I first met him uh, when, when a friend got hired at Saturday night live. So in like 97, 98, I went to his first show and at the after party, well, Danny reprised his role of two wild and crazy guys, uh -oh. Steve Martin. Um, they set it up brilliantly. Um, Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell were doing their Night at the Roxbury guys, and the right. sketch was tanking. Yeah, yeah. Tanked. Yeah. But um, uh, it was set up that way because then all of a sudden the audience is like, oof, like this is bad. Then all of a sudden the audience parts, and there's Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin and the the whole audience just goes insane. So at the after party, um, I was the night that uh, some guy from in New York, uh, New York Yankee pitched a no hitter. So like 97, 98, I forget what his name was. David Cohn. Maybe. Was, was, was oh, no, David Wells. David Wells. Dave, big, David Wells. Big, big old David Wells, yeah. David Wells. It was a right. night because he showed up at the after party and everyone forgot all the celebrities that were there. They were just like, that's David Wells. He pitched, he just pitched a no hitter. And uh, so uh, uh, Danny was there with, with Donna, uh, with his right. wife. And, right. and uh, they, they, we were like at a booth kind of, you know, off to the side and they were kind of at the, one of the main tables. Right. And I don't know why he just, he, he's, when he, he, he and Donna stood up, he like kind of waved me over and I come over. I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, um, um, he goes, we're leaving. If you want to have the, if you guys want the table, it was me and my group of, of improvisers, a few from, uh, uh, we became Barrio Speedwagon. We've been doing the show. Called <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you. We were doing a show called touched by an Anglo and my friends were like, I saw Lauren Michaels and I gave him a flyer and they're like, how could you do that? Just go up to him and give him. I'm like, and he looked at it. I remember he looked at it, laughed, got into his limo. So we're at this after party and, and Danny, he goes, there's also a full bottle of wine here. Uh, he goes, it's, it, if you guys want it, it's yours. We haven't touched it yet. We're like, yeah, we do. So, and then throughout the years I've connected with him, you know, he's, he has his crystal head vodka and yeah. I, I cigars. So we've traded right. cigars for vodka before. I don't know if that's legal, nice. but, um, 
you know, he ended up doing events in Vegas and, and also at my friend's restaurant in Hollywood, Velvet Margarita Cantina, where they uh-huh. had a Velvet Vato there named after me. And um, so, and he's always been just such the nicest guy. Well, he, yeah. gave me, he gave me his email. And I think at one point I maybe even had his phone number or at least mm-hmm. his assistant's phone number, I seem to remember. But just so sweet. Yeah, he's a good guy. How does that happen, though, that you guys just happen to be there, you see him, and if had that not happened, your life would have just been a, a different trajectory. Absolutely. I don't know. You know, I don't like, you know what? I don't know if it ever would have gotten on course. You know, it's just uh, circumstances, you know, it's just things that happen. I mean, you know, you've seen it in your own life, you know, it, things happen or, you know, things happen because they're supposed to happen or yes. they just happen. I, I don't know. I'm not, to, I'm not uh, in the predetermination that much, but I sure felt sure feels that way yeah you know, but, you know, yeah because um the 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 key was him independently picking up the phone and calling Sean over at the lampoon magazine because that gave us uh some credibility and it actually gave us quite a bit of credibility because we ended up as contributing editors and we became fairly important at the at the book uh we were in it every month you know and and it was that was a great job didn't pay shit but um, it, it got us an agent. It got us, uh, you know, a lawyer, and it got all the things I needed to be in show business. Who was at the time? Uh, was there any people of note at uh, at the at Lampoon at National Lampoon? I mean, because I know uh, a lot of John Hughes. Sure, might have heard of him. I've heard of him. Um, he was the he's the most prominent. We have P.J. O'Rourke, of course, and uh, Sean and Tony Hendra. Uh, Pete Kaminsky and Ellis Weiner and Danny Abelson and uh, really fine comedy minds. It was a it was a great place to be. Ed Sabitsky, the comedian, um, uh, just a fab. It was a fabulous experience. That was the most pure, the most pure writing experience ever. Now, um, because that's where like Dan Aykroyd as well. I mean, and and, and Jim and John Belushi came out of right because well, they, Belushi, uh, well, they came out of Second City. Uh, uh, yeah, John came out of Second City, Chicago. Yes, and Danny added to Second City, Toronto. Uh, mm-hmm. But as far as uh, really getting getting to be known, um, the cast for that's my dog. The cast for Lemmings. Uh, was yeah. Belushi, uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Chris Guest, um, uh, Alice Platon, the great Alice Platon. Um, hold on a second, I have to calm Sh- Shut up! So. <laughs> let me hear quiet. Okay, good. <clears throat> I guess the mailman's in the house. In the house. Excuse me a second. <laughs> so, folks, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, it, it's such a pleasure. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. Ah! All right, we're going to move on, even though the dog's barking. Okay. He'll calm down. He or she. He doesn't know this is professional show business. Oh, great timing. Um. Yeah. What were we saying? 
Well, uh, so, so so then there's National Lampoon, and then you know, let's let's maybe cut to that Emmy night uh, in '82 or '83 for the second. '82. Um, of course, you know I love reading credits, and and I saw you know Dick Blasucci there, whom I met right. later, on, you know, at, at Mad TV. So it seems like you guys is that where you met him at Second City? Yeah, uh, I met him, and he did. <laughs> Let me tell you a funny story. Now, no one's watching this, so I can get away with this. He was uh, my, our first night in uh, <laughs> our first night in Toronto. Stu and I uh, go up, uh, and uh, we're flying with two other guys. We don't know they're with us, and uh, two guys, and they look like jerks to us. You know, look at these jerks. We're flying with jerks. You know, well, those jerks turn out to be guys we were working with, who I adore now. But you know that snap judgment. I'm sure they had exactly the same reaction. But anyway, so uh, I had never met Dick before, and uh, uh, he seemed nice enough, you know, I met him. And the first night we're there, Bob Dolman, one of the writers who was married to Andrea Martin at the time, he's, he became a pretty, pretty big film director. Um, he says, you know, we're going across the street to the Italian restaurant if, if you want to want to join us and kind of you know meet some people so oh definitely you know so so we go over to the italian restaurant and there's like eight people there uh we sit with them and i sit next to this woman is a very cute lady very nice very nice looking person very seemingly very nice person uh who's um talking about something uh that i have some knowledge of she's talking about a seer s-e-e-r named um, Edgar Casey, C-A-Y-C-E. I love to spell. Um, and uh, she's talking about his mystical powers and all of this stuff. And I had just read a book on him. And uh, I kind of, I wasn't as rude as I am now. So I waited for a while and then said, if, you know, if I might interrupt... Uh, if I may interject, um, <laughs> a lot of what you're saying is not really correct. You know, it's so she goes off on me about, you know, what do I know? And I said, well, I've read this book and well, I know I've read more than book, you know, and it's just like an, it's a one sided argument. I just said that. And then I sat there and 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 she barked at me for a while. And I thought, she's unpleasant, surprisingly unpleasant. She looks pleasant. She's not pleasant. So the, the evening goes on, and everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So we finish dinner, and the next day I go to the office, and I run into Paul Flaherty and Dick Basucci, who are writing something. And uh, said, so Dick says, hey, what'd you do last night? How, how was, how was, what'd you do? Did you go out? I said, yeah, we went to this Italian restaurant across the street. And I met this unpleasant woman. Yeah. Yeah. His wife. It was his wife. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first conversation I have with him. I call his wife a bitch. Yep. Yeah, of course. of course. So he doesn't, he was not fond of me, uh, believe it or not. He was not fond of me for quite a while. Quite a while. Now, you know, we, it, it warmed up. But here's the punchline of that story. I'm saying 30 years later, he and I are sitting in a bar together. He's a dear friend. I mean, I, he and I are very dear friends. 
I'm sitting in a bar after he's broken up. His, his marriage is broken up. And having a martini. He's having a drink. He says, Chris, you know, 30 years ago when, I said, yeah, you were right. <laughs> what a callback what a callback yeah amazing what a callback. amazing and it's it's funny because you touched on exactly what i kind of wanted to bring up and, and these are just like little little points uh i guess in comedy that interest me but you mentioned paul flaherty who i would assume is joe flaherty's brother yeah or, uh, related but there were also other names on that list that that uh was there well, there was maybe another short was he related yeah. to like Martin Short? And Michael Short. Michael Short. Michael Short is uh, Martin Short's big brother. And I mean big brother. Mike is 6'4", and Marty's about 5'2", five, five, maybe 4'11". Sure. He's a tiny man. Sure. Um, uh, Michael is a, a great comedy writer. Great comedy writer. As a matter of fact, he uh, wrote... A great deal of Schitt's Creek. Ah, okay, wonderful. Yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And, 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 and that's and, uh, he's, and he's as he's as funny as he is on paper. He's just as funny in person, and he's a lovely human being. That's that. Wow, that's wonderful. Yes, please, yeah, give it up for for all these brilliant and wonderful comedy writers. But that's always fascinated me like, like that because I read the credits and go like, I wonder if they're related. I wonder if they're related. I yeah, that's his brother. And that's, that's, that's yeah. wonderful. You know, one's kind of the actor and writer probably. And then the yeah. other one's like, you know, let me, let me write, you know, and, and I'm sure because I know that you guys were in sketches as well. So I'm sure you could, you could handle it just yeah. fine in front of the camera as you can. You well, know, the camera, but the, <laughs> our greatest sketch was uh, the Larry Siegel show, which was uh, Rick Moranis conceived. And it was uh, based on a guy named, in Hollywood named Joel Silver and Joel was, um, he was one of the hondlers of all time, as they say in show business. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he and Moranis had had some meetings. He, he was making big movies in those days, uh, uh, the producer was. And uh, so Rick was so taken with the guy that he said, we knew him a little bit. I knew him because he had come for a job at the CBS page core and I didn't hire him, which was the stupidest thing I ever did because I might've written one of those dumb movies. Um, but he, uh, uh, he was so taken with Joel Silver. He says, I want to do his character. And I said, great. You know, I said, but I want to do him on a talk show. So it was just this little man who's always angry and um, screams at you. And, and so we played a comedy team of uh, Dennis and David, and uh, we don't get a word in. He just doesn't allow anyone to speak, and he screams at you. And it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. You can go ahead and Google it. It's called The Larry Siegel Show uh, on SCTV. Amazing. Amazing. So you were in those sketches as well. Yeah. But what was was Dick Lasucci and, and and for some reason this had just popped into my head. Uh, was Dick Lasucci on stage there in '82 when you received your your Emmy or was on, he- yeah oh yeah sure yeah oh sure yeah I couldn't find him I because I, you I was like oh there's yeah yeah uh, yeah he was there um, yeah he was he was a Second City guy he came out of uh, he was in the touring company I think in Chicago out of Chicago. Okay. You know what? I, 
Oh, now that makes perfect sense because I think I know his daughter Maria might have. Maria, been. yeah, Maria, the, the lo lovely and hilarious Maria. We love. I, I mean, I, of course, I met her when she must have been I don't know twelve, thirteen. Uh, you know, yeah. or whenever she was hanging out at Matthew. Oh, on, at the show, yeah, at the show. I knew her when she was about three, I guess, or four, and she punched me in the jaw. I'm not kidding you, and dislocated my jaw. She dis what? Yep. <laughs> Hilarious as it was, I had to, had to do that thing because it was out of place. So I hated her for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't uh, connected with her lately, but but it's I know that she was finding great success in you know in L.A. I believe, or maybe she's she a big, she's a talented girl. A girl, she's a talented woman. You know, she really is a talented woman, and she looks. Now that was a story about her mother before, so she, I hope she never sees this. Um, but uh, she's, I really like her. I admire her. She's very good. Very, very good. Wonderful. That's, that's I went to a, I went to a, a, an improv show at um, at the uh, was it the up with the upstairs room at the improv. You know that place? It's they called it the studio lab or something like that. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And I was Dick and I went because we were going to go. I wanted to see Maria's uh, group. They were very good. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably know half the people in it, but they were very good. And um, so we saw them and that was over. And I said to Dick, let's go. Because the last thing I want to do is spend the evening watching improvisers. You know, I would rather go drink. And he said, yeah, he said, so just as we're going to go, when we're in the front, this is, we're going to go. The, the next group comes out. And so he said, I, I can't. Because, I, you know, he, you know, he's a sweet guy. He's a very, he doesn't want to ever hurt anyone's feelings. So he says, I can't, I can't do it. I, I can't leave until it's over. And so I sat with him and I said, there's nothing worse than bad improvisation. And that's oh. what it was. It was a half an hour yeah. of the worst. I mean, I wanted to kill myself. It was just awful but he was good enough then to buy me dinner so because i suffered nice i think i think that that's i thought maybe you didn't want to stick around because you didn't want to run into maria again and have her punch your lights out oh, no we were, we were friends by that time oh good yeah good. and my jaw was back in place so nice very nice yeah. so uh i i can't remember i think i i I, I didn't prank Dick Blasucci, but, but you know, we hung out there a lot. Even yeah, I know. If I, if I needed to find you, I had to just find the craft service table. So <laughs> just, follow, uh, just follow the munching. It was easy to find you. Not follow the money. Follow the no, money. Not the, no, there was no money involved. That's why you were there. Of course, because we knew that we could go and hang out there, yeah. get fed, Drink, you know, from, from our friends that were on the show, whether it was Ike Barinholtz or Bobby Lee, or well, right. you know, Bobby, I don't think he had a booze in his room, but we would use his his his, uh, his we would use his uh, dressing room to use the facilities because Ike would be like, "No, you can't take a dump in here. Go to Bobby's." So you know, Bobby would walk in, and there we are taking a dump. In his <laughs> poor Bobby, poor Bobby, but uh, <laughs> so Bobby, 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 Bobby. So whether we were on the show or not, I mean, I mean, I was, I, I would do it every now and then, you know, I was there every Friday and you came up with that brilliant. Well, I mean, I just remember you going like, 
the Chicago Mooch is on. <laughs> oh, it was on big. It was on big. Oh, yeah, Moochie Moochie. Yeah, you were the Moochie guy. Yes. Yeah, I didn't well, know your name was Vato. I thought it was Moochie. Moochie. But Moochie. I, so I, I, I go up to Dick one day, and then I felt bad after I did it. I was like, oh, maybe that's why they don't hire me. I'm sure there was other reasons. But I, I was like, I go, I, got, I have I think, reasons. That's what I heard. Yeah, uh, I was like, I was like, Mr. Blusucci, that I go, I got to tell you something very important. And he goes, what? I go, and I wave him over to that freezer that had the ice cream in it. I go, you guys are out of Choco Tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looked at me like, you're That's idiot. funny. I love that. I wish I had known that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And That's of course, great. in my mind, I'm like, oh, of course, of course, they don't want you on the show. Because I remember, I think at one point they were pitching me for something and they're like, he was just on the show last week. And that's when I was like, when I found that out, I was like, oh, well, why didn't they just, why don't they just hire me? You know, like almost that na- naivete of that's how easy it is. Just like, you know, well, I'm here anyways. You were in the show a bunch of times, weren't you? I was. Yeah, yeah. As like a glorified, I don't want to say glorified extra, but yeah, I was on the show. Yeah, yeah take out the word glorified because, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had a standing thing with the producer, though. I said, uh, Vato is not in any of my sketches. I don't think I ever was. Even the Mexican sketch you weren't in. So, yeah, I had to. I had to because you pretty much only wrote for for the African American contingency. Not only, but <laughs> ma- no, mainly because you could get on the show that way. You know the um, yeah because the 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 the, Af- the the black actors were really being underutilized a lot. And we're also, the writers were not writing for them. I mean, generally, if uh, when I got there, um, uh, the first thing, I, first thing I pitched and got on was, uh, oh, Steven Seagal <laughs> uh, comes, played by uh, Will. Uh, Steven Seagal is doing the new version of Kung Fu. And they booked David Carradine for the sketch. And while that was going on, Aries Spears came up to me and he said, uh, he said, man, this is like fucking brilliant. And I said, oh, thanks. I'm, I'm a brilliant guy. And uh, he said, I got, I have an idea. Will you, you write it with me? And I say, of course, of course. You know, uh, he was the only actor, certainly at the beginning, who was interested in my helping him out. So it became a natural thing to the point where <laughs> we were at a party somewhere and he comes in with his, I don't know if it's his wife, his girlfriend, I don't know who she was, but he introduced me. He said, this is my writer. <laughs> And I thought I bet I better I better look into this. I better look into this because I'm going to end up with an NAACP award, you know. As as you should, because as I they mean, should with with Deborah Wilson and Deborah Aries. wrote a lot for Deborah wrote a lot for Aries. Uh, and then when uh, Keegan came on, he was a Second City guy. So uh, those guys, so like Richie Tallarico and uh, um, the the other Second City people who were there, had a kind of they all drew together because they knew each other from Chicago. And then there was the groundling contingent, which was the hardest for me to deal with. Um, You know, they were so insular. Uh, That was a, 
the first first year there was a real challenge for me because I hadn't written a sketch in 20 years since SCTV. Oh, of course, of course. So, so, and I all that sitcom stuff, and then was you know I was you know uh, rounding the basis to 50 years of age. I just worked on a show. Had broken up a writing partnership, a 25 year writing partnership, um, and I was an unknown quality in um, or quantity. I don't know which it is in uh, in L.A. I had to uh, actually write the spec scripts after having run three television shows. Yeah. Wow. I, I, we kind of glossed all over that because I mean, and I'm sorry, but I, I wish we had more time uh, and, and uh, I would love to have you come back and we still have, uh, I got Joe Stapleton coming at 1130, but we can always push him. Uh, he actually yeah. can't find the link. Um, he was a runner on the show. What's that? He was a runner on mad TV when I was there. He, he, he was. And it's, uh, so he showed up, uh, at my cigar shop in Vegas one day and, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, five, six, eight years ago, something. And, you know, uh, 2012 or 13, maybe 10 years ago. And, and, and he was like, do you remember me? You know, I meet so many people in Vegas, you know, hundreds a day sometimes. And, but he looks so familiar. I'm like, yes. I go, wait from LA. He goes, yes. Cause he, I think between him and Josh, Myers, they're the ones that, that took me to this Valentine's Day party where I met a lot of pretty girls from USC. So I was always very grateful. But I think he was the connection. Um, and uh, so so he then says, he goes, I used to I used to be a runner. You know, I used to work. Uh, I was a uh, yeah a runner on at PA, yeah. Matt TV. I was like, oh, my God. And, and in the meantime, you know, he'd gone to London. He'd become yeah. a famous poker commentator. Yeah. You know, his whole story, yeah. you know. And, and But so he and I have just uh, stayed in touch. And we were actually – trying to do something in, in, in Vegas and Binion's uh, with him and Norm MacDonald when he was touring with him, you know, mm. years ago. Now I understand why that didn't you know quite work out, but uh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, Norm ruined that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what an asshole. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's that darkness, man. That's, it's that's some, somewhere where I think our minds thrive and that's how we deal with shit. You well, how do you deal with it? Otherwise, you know, Norm was a, I only met him once and just thought he was the most lovely man I'd ever met. It just uh, so genuinely soft-spoken and uh, very smart and very big-hearted, you know. And uh, when I heard of all of these recent comedy deaths, he's he's the one that made me the saddest uh, because of who he was as a person. Although I was friends with uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Sure. And uh, that one hurt too, uh, because people didn't realize what a what a little fine heart he had, or a good what a good guy he was, and um, uh, they just you know see the bombastic side of him, which was you know bombastic. I mean, the aristocrats is one of the the amazing moments of show business history is him telling that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, but Norm. That made me sad. Well, um, I, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's uh, amazing. And I met Norm through Mo Collins because, you know, uh-huh. he would have these swim parties uh, at, at her place there in Valley Village. And uh, <laughs> I remember he was one of the guys that would, that would be there sometimes. Uh, so, so, yeah, Norm. Yeah, he was that kind of guy who would be places sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He was that yeah. guy. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. He, he was that guy. We just, when I met him, that's he was just, 
there in yeah. somebody's house. It's yeah. 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 And he was so kind of a lonely guy, you know, I, th I think so because, and I think Joe and I, maybe you've discussed that with Joe as well. I don't know if you have, but, but mm -hmm. I think that, that that was kind of the consensus and it was always hard to, you know, to, to, to nail him down and, and go like, Hey, but I also understand now what was going on in the past yeah. final years of his life. Who, who wants to then have to do another show, you right. know, for what it's uh, so, so that's, uh, and, yeah. and Gilbert, uh, I, we were both on a project together with David Faustino, who was Bud Bundy. Um, yeah. He, Nemec, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, right. did a, uh, a web series early, you know, uh, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, called Starving, S-T-A-R-Ving, about child actors that are now starving. Right. And was <laughs> in it, um, uh, and I had a small part in it and, and whatnot, so it was, uh, it was, it was a, a yeah. great project, a fun project. I think it's still out there, I'm sure. But, um, but you also worked on Night Court. Yeah. And, and produced a, a night court and see, I have all these other questions. So I really hope that we can, we can do a part two because, sure. because Harry Anderson also, it's such a big uh, like influence as far, as far as comedy goes. And I, I mean, I love that show. And then to meet you and then find out that your involvement. Yeah. I was there the first two seasons uh, with Stu and we looked at each other after the seasons were over and we said, this thing's going nowhere. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so we went and we went, <laughs> Went, we went to a bunch of places and then came back five years later and took the show over and ran it for the last two seasons. It's going again. They're putting a, they're, they're putting a new one out. I, I saw that. I saw yeah. that. Do you have any involvement with that? No, no, no. John's in it. Uh, he's still side, yes. back to playing Dan Fielding. I, and and Melissa, Melissa Roch, Roch, I don't know how you say her name, uh, from... Uh, some show that I don't know um, uh, is playing Harry's daughter. I know that. Ah, wonderful. Okay. I, I talked about Harry all day. I loved Harry. I, I, I could have, I would, that's a man I would have loved to have met. You know, yeah. You would have liked him. He was a sweetheart. He was going to be an, he could be a pain in the ass, but he was uh, who can't, you know? Yeah. We all. Can. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Wow, so so that that's wonderful, and so I guess maybe catch us up what you've been up to, uh, if uh, after you know after after we broke up uh, after Mad TV because I also left around two thousand six or two thousand seven because uh, that's when I met I met my my future now yeah. ex wife and yeah. she was like what are you doing why are you just hanging out like and she she so she pulled me away from it and I kind of wish she hadn't you say now ex wife yeah yeah we ended up getting divorced oh I didn't know that. I don't know if you. you, you I'm only doing this to meet her. What? I'll, I'll give you her number. Good luck. <laughs> In 30 years, uh, you'll be like, uh, uh, you were right. Moochie <laughs> <laughs> oh, got a big joke in. There we go. Uh, I, I know you've got some exciting projects going on. Oh, and I read your script, and it's – I don't know if you can talk about it or want to talk about it, but about I loved, loved, loved your script. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, anything you else? Now, because uh, – or do you want to hold it? We'll do another one. It's uh, – do you want to maybe touch on it, and, and then we sure. can do another one? I would love to do it. I mean, I, I'll do this on a weekly basis with you because – I won't, but um, fair, it's fair. I understand your point of view. I hope you understand mine. Um, 
Yeah, so I did a, a there's a guy named Russ Meyer. Let me set this, so it's 1969, Hollywood is in the toilet. Um, uh, nobody's going to the movies because they're making all these movies that don't relate to 1969, which is the following 68 was the, the two most tumultuous years until maybe 2020 uh, in, America, in America. I mean, you had a, a nation torn apart over the Vietnam War. You had um, uh, Paul left. He's so bored. No, I'm, 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 I'm still here. I'm st <laughs> I don't blame you. Wake me up when this is over. Uh, no, no, I'm still here. I just have to I'm send not, a text though. to Joe Stapleton. But please, I'm still here. Oh, Joe. Me. Yeah, bring Joe on, too. Um, now I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I'm going to look at Mark and Seth and Marwan and Tiffany and all those names at the bottom of the screen. Hi, everybody. What is that? Did I get the answer wrong? <laughs> now I can't. Now you have no, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling. <laughs> oh, good. You're so funny. Uh, I, I, I think that's the party sign. But if those sound effects bother you, I can always also uh, turn them off. You know, the clap. Oh, no, I love them. Okay. I, I, I thought you would uh, appreciate it. Fantastic. They're like the best sound effects I've heard all day. <laughs> okay, I, I hope this doesn't end the show. I'm, uh, so I'm just gonna. I might. I might be off camera for just a second as I text Joe Stapleton. What I? Why don't you? Why, why do you have to text? Why do you have to get off? Uh, just stay on, and we'll watch that. Okay, that could be, that could be fascinating. Perfect. You're gonna just see my face, like. Yeah, I want to see like, yeah, doing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe. I can't get Chris off the fucking show. He won't stop talking. He's such an asshole. You were right. <laughs> That's the sound effects from Andy said when I was a kid. Can you see my face as I'm doing this? Yes. How and about now? It looks great. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. No, you're frozen. You're frozen now. This okay. is so much fun. If I had a watch, I'd be looking at it. Well, Seth and Buklau and Marwan, Mark, all of you, thank you for being here and hope you enjoyed yourselves. Because, come on, let's face it, the, uh, the ticket costs nothing. So how can you complain? Why? The first two guys are crying. Tiffany's crying. Mark's clapping. Everybody's clapping and crying. And Vato is frozen <laughs> like, uh, like a mosquito in amber. <laughs> you would see that in the National, uh, National Geographic when you weren't looking at the native lady's tits. <laughs> I love that laugh. It's like out of an insane asylum. It sounds like a mental institution. <laughs> What's behind you there? My laptop, because I had a note, and I, I meant to do it more uh, discreetly, but since the show's already gone off the rails, uh, 
because there were some other TV shows I wanted to talk about. But uh, let's finish the story on, on uh, that, that you were that you were telling oh, about. on yeah. Russ Meyer. So okay, so Russ Meyer was a filmmaker. He inv- he, w- he invented the American nudie film. He came out of World War II as a member of uh, the um, uh, the Army Photographic Corps, whatever it was called, Signal Corps, and. Um, uh, he couldn't when he after the war, he couldn't get arrested in uh, in Hollywood. They, the, the union, the cinematographers union shut out all the army veterans, all the veterans. So they didn't allow any of them into the union. So they couldn't work on union movies. So most of them just packed up and went home. And Russ said, no, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make independent films. And he did. He made. I think somewhere in the 20s, 20 some independent films, uh, most of them with women with enormous breasts. And that was his uh, his you know <laughs> that was his thing. I mean, he uh, movies called Super Vixen and Revenge of Super Vixen, and it was always about women who were empowered. And uh, it seemed very sexist, but it wasn't. It was oddly empowering for women. So he had a career doing that. And in 1969, he, um, uh, as, as I said, Hollywood's in the toilet. Every uh, every studio hires a maverick director. Warner Brothers hired uh, Robert Downey Sr., who made uh, Putney Swope and um, uh, a couple of other fine movies. And Robert Altman was one of them. And so 20th Century Fox, in their wisdom, hires the guy that invents the American nudist film uh, to uh, be their maverick director. And uh, he gets assigned uh, uh, to do a sequel to a movie called Valley of the Dolls, which had been huge box office for 20th Century Fox. It was one of the just a terrible movie, but it did very, very well uh, at the box office. So they wanted a, a sequel to it. And Russ signed on to do it. And he hired as his screenwriter a 23 year old. Uh, Chicago-based um, newspaper writer who was a third-string movie critic at the Chicago Sun-Times whose name was Roger Ebert, the famous Roger Ebert. So it's a story of these two guys and Russ's wife, Eve, who is a fabulous character, um, making this film at 20th Century Fox in 1970, and it is a scream, as you know. You still you're frozen, or are you just so bored? No, no, I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by 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 their their sto- the story. Yeah, it's a great story. It really is a great story. And the movie turned. The movie was horrible. I mean, the movie they made was awful. Uh, but that's not the point. The point was that uh, that this guy was the as, as I said in the script, he was the Grandma Moses of titty movies. I mean, he was. That's what he was like a genius uh, at those things. And he made so he tried to become a straight director and it didn't work. So he went back to doing the titty movie. Wow. Wow. Now, so, so but this is a story that you've created. I mean, I, I know it's based in reality. Yeah, it's based in reality. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, based on a true story. I mean, the, the, the movie was made. Ebert and uh, Meyer worked together. Uh, all of that stuff happened. Um, but the art comes from me. You know, it's, a, you know, I, my point of view on it. And uh, very proud of the script. There's only, there's only a couple of others that I think are better than that that I've done. So 
as you should. And, and, you know, take it, take it for what it's worth coming for me. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I hope sure. you know, that it gets made. I'll send you another one to read. That'll knock your socks off. If you're wearing any, I'm not, I'm not wearing socks or pants. So I'm, wearing, I'm wearing two pairs of pants. I'll make oh. it up for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Uh, and then of course, next time I want to touch base on, uh, I don't know if she was your ex-girlfriend, but you maybe worked with her on Mallory. Uh, was, was that, was that, was that the name of the show? Was it a, a young Jennifer Aniston? My, Lord, uh, my girlfriend. I was 41 and she was 19. And uh, yeah, was, how did you make that connection? Yes, I have a great story about that. I mean, a great story. Would, would you mind if I invited uh, Joe, Mr. Joe Stapleton up? No, I don't want to see him. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll leave him in the audience. That in that mental institution laughter is really great. If you if you don't like it, we can we can all we no, can. No, I love it. I told you that. Will you listen to me? I'm sorry. Well, you're a comedian, and, and, and sometimes comedians say things in a sarcastic tone, and I don't pick up on it. So, um, yeah, because because I also wanted to talk about homeboys in outer space. Oh and- yeah, you don't want to miss a minute of that. You know, why don't you let me go? Because I'm like, how, how long can I do this? You know, it's enough. It's you know, you always leave the audience wanting more, and they didn't want more after about 25 minutes ago. <laughs> well, um, what's the Jennifer Aniston? Jesus. Who's Giuseppe Gazzaniche. Hey, what's up? I didn't think, I, I actually really believed Chris when he said not to let me on. I was, I, I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> sure. No, I meant it. <clears throat> No, I know you did. I, that's why I was trying to cancel. <laughs> oh, I love you, Joe. You know that. I, I, I Look, uh, I love you, too. You were uh, a big influence early on in my life and um, were one of the first people to ever reach out to me and say, hey, kid, what do you got? Let me show me something. Hmm. And, uh, well, you know, you, you don't get. Yeah, you don't get those opportunities very often, especially um, at the time I believed in keeping my head down and not really. um and not really self-promoting. And I wish I had started self-promoting sooner though. Well, you're doing a good job of it now. Oh yeah. I'm a total, total shill fest now. You're a tool, man. I love it. You know, you're a <laughs> shill fest. I like that. Yeah. But you're, I, you can't, it's like I said to Paul before, you can't be shy and be in show business. It's, it's a really bad combo, especially early on because yeah. You're not like, in show business then you're just some guy standing over there. So you got to get uh, hi. I'd like to, you know, you got to do that. I think I, I have, love that sound. It's just I, I, I have to learn how to do that better because I sometimes I feel like I don't put myself out there enough. Uh, Paul, you're pretty good at it. I'd say yeah, you're, you're pretty good at it too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I uh, I had cancer and I went back to smoking cigars because of you. Oh, thanks, man. That's a lot. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a, a mental institution to you, Joe? Can you hear that? Yes, I can hear it. It, Yeah, it sounds like people laughing with like a gun to their head, maybe. (laughs) All right, let me go so you can talk to him. Well, I'm going to, you know, we'll end the show and we'll restart the next one because this is is two shows. Did you want to quickly tell your Jennifer Aniston story or should we save it for leave him wanting more? You hear my dog? My dog hates this now. He says, I saw this. This is fucking boring. Yeah, the thing is, I've never heard the Jennifer Aniston story, and the dog probably has. Can you do it one more time? Yeah, you know what? That's the truth. And that's a good observation. He's heard it many times. And he, 
<laughs> you want to hear it? I'll give it to you one more time. All right. Yeah. So we're at Warner Brothers 1989. We're in a new development deal. We have sold uh, two or three pilots at the networks. Uh, and uh, of course, they all go nowhere because that's the way of the business. But so we're there. We're in a, a fairly good sized deal. And uh, Harvey, uh, what's his name, was the president of Warner Brothers Television. You can't just watch his name. You can't just watch his name. Harvey's now, Chris. It's either Weinstein or somebody else. No, it's not Weinstein. Okay, great. Moving on. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was because it'd be a more interesting story. I walked up. He's jacking off. He's in the shower. So, is that what you wanted to hear? Because I said it. So, um, so anyway, so he says, "Can you boys come up to see me?" And we go to see him, and he says, uh, "We have a." a six episode deal at Fox TV, which was brand new 1889. I think the Simpsons and one or two other shows cops and something else married with children. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just started like a year that a year before the guy said, we have, um, we have this six overall and it was all, and it was this guy came in to do it and uh, Fox hated the script and they hated him and, and they hated the whole idea. So uh, we still have the commitment and we'd like you to do it. And we thought, you know what? We've never run a show. This could be a good opportunity. It's like spring training or the minor leagues or something like that. Cause it was Fox. No one watches Fox, nobody. So um, we went and we met with, uh, with the cast, with the, uh, with the star, the person who had the commitment, it was Mayim Bialik. And she was, 10 years old or whatever she was. I mean, she was a little kid and she was lovely. She had just come off, uh, the, uh, I think it was called the Rose with Bette Midler. She played Bette Midler as a child. Um, and it was a big hit movie, Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler and, and Mayim. And uh, so Mayim, off that they Fox wants her to do a sitcom. Duh. So we go to meet with her, basically meet with her mother, and we say, yeah, they, you know, uh, Warner Brothers would like us to do this. This is the idea we have. So we had to pitch to her mother, which is really weird. Um, so we pitched to her mother, and her mother goes, oh, I love that, you know, and Fox liked it, and, and Warner Brothers liked it. So it didn't matter to Warner Brothers. They just wanted the money. So <clears throat> we uh, wrote, a, wrote a pilot, and then so then the pilot got picked up, and we were going to do the six episodes. And uh, the president of the Fox Television Network, whose name I will not mention, although it, it rhymes with Peter Charnin, uh, <laughs> uh, we go to meet with him and with uh, the executives, and we have our casting person, and she goes and casts. So we bring the kids in with some kids in it, and there's a, so the, the, well, Pam Brule gets the part as the mom, and the dad gets cast and we're down to the bad sister, the the bad sister. And who's the bad sister? Well, we read for the bad sister. We meet, we read about 35, 40 actresses for it. And it was just not happening. Just that they, it, it was written too um, uh, oddly sophisticated for this terrible, terrible show, but it was just oddly sophisticated and nobody could quite get the nuance of the character. So we have to say, we have to change the character because it's just not going to ever find anybody. And then uh, 19-year-old Jennifer Aniston comes in to read, and she hits it out of the park. 
I mean, she got all the nuance. She got all of the, um, she got all of it. She just got it. And you could see she loved it. And she had never had a job. She was just out of, she was in college. I mean, she, she I think she did some work in New York, but she, uh, she had never been on a network television show. Not that Fox was a network then, but, you know, kind of. <clears throat> so we loved her so much. Our casting person said, we have to bring Quasimodo with us. Now, that was like our, <laughs> our, you bring, you know, that guy to make sure the person you want gets the part. Well, so it's now time to read Jennifer and Quasimodo and Jennifer reads first and he could not have been less interested. He's che checking through his snail mail, you know, he's, he's looking through what, what does he have any, any, uh, any bobby pins i mean he's just looking for he's just not paying any attention whatsoever and i'm like and she's so good and she's great so she leaves and he goes eh. <laughs> we were amazed then quasimodo comes in he says, i love her she's great so we're like how do we how do we this is awful. So we leave his office and Jennifer is waiting for us. 19 year old kid waiting for us down at the end of the hall. And I, had to, I have to tell her she didn't get the part. And she begins to cry. And, <sighs> um, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do. I have children, but they're little. I never had to do kids. You haven't been cast. That hasn't happened. So my, our, our, our assistant, a, a fine human being by the name of Karen Heckler, says, I have an idea. So she takes her, she takes Jen, brown-haired Jennifer to the, what they used to call the beauty parlor. And she has her hair hennaed. And we bring her in again the next day. <laughs> And she's brilliant. And he says, she's got the part. Oh, my God. True story. True story. It's a, it's, a, it's a great ending unless it's being told from the perspective of Quasimodo. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Quasimodo was already on one of their other shows. Oh, he, he okay. didn't even notice. He didn't even know who he's on. He's got four shows. She's on one of them. <laughs> he, he's never seen her before. She's great. We should put her in something. I think she's in the Commanders or whatever the the name of the show was that she was on. You, you know that I've been the Quasimodo before on a poker show. They they brought me in one time and auditioned me to scare the fuck out of the two old guys that had the job so they would pay them less. <laughs> so you get it. You get it. Yeah. I've been there. <clears throat> yeah. That's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right, I want to go now. Joe, I'm glad right. to see you. Brilliant. Nice to see you, Chris. Hopefully we can link up on the East Coast, uh, you know, one of these days. It would be nice that. to see you. Yeah, I would okay. love that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right, cool. I'll, tr I'll track it down. Before we go, let me give you my social security number. <laughs> hey, don't forget the expiration date. Oh. His? Uh, on the credit card, not not oh, not. I mean, they don't put that on your. They don't put. They don't put that on your social security card yet. I don't think they don't know the exact. Well, if they do, I think I'm past the date. <laughs>
All right, you're a genius. Go be funny, and Vato, uh, you're a good man. Uh, Hang on for one second. I just want to say thank you so much. I want to thank everyone that's here. I'm going to end the show, uh, and then if you're welcome to hang out in the audience, or if if you feel like... No. I'm done. (laughs) So I'm going to end the show so I can start the new show in about four minutes with Mr. Joe Stapleton. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chris, for being here. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for Joe. He is funny. Oh, thank Great. you, Chris. Nice it's to see you. Goodbye. So goodbye. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Bye, everybody. Bye, Tiffany. Bye, Mark. Bye, Paul. Bye, Seth. Bye, Bukaka, whatever your name is. <laughs> all right. God, God bless you. Goodbye. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Bye. I'm trying to leave. <laughs> He's still like on. <laughs> how do I leave? <laughs> we should. We, we Look, should hold on. on. Let's see how this Just the lake. That's where just I live. Just smash your, just smash your phone. There's the lake. Goodbye. <laughs> Let's see how this pans out. Okay, I'm, I'm, you know what, Joe? I think I'm gonna have to end the show or get rid of Chris. There we go. Okay. <laughs> He's back. back again. It's amazing. <laughs> I told you, now you can't leave. <laughs> Bye. Well, I'm going to give you a tour. Hold on. Oh, okay. This is where I live. I live by the lake here. This is good lake music. All right, I got to go. Okay, Goodbye. bye. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato, an actor in improv coming from Chicago. Outdoor, make way for Paul Bob.